Well, Merry Christmas, everyone. And for those of you who think I'm a week late, speaking of the lectionary and these prayers, Christmas is actually the next season, not just a day, but a season that follows Advent. So we've got our Christ candle lighted over there or lit. I don't know which one is proper. But you might remember the 12 days of Christmas is not just a song. It's a reality that for hundreds of years, the church has considered Christmas the season between Advent and then what is known as Epiphany. Epiphany is the great revelation that honors the journey of the wise men or, oh, Miguel just left, or in Puerto Rico and other places, Three Kings Day. So Christmas is a season That's the season, so Merry Christmas. Tonight we're talking about a Christmas revolution, and we're going to be looking at a revolutionary song that predates Jesus' birth from Jesus' mom, Mary, in Luke chapter 1. So I invite you to join me there, Luke chapter 1. It'll be on the screen. You can follow along that way. Here's what Mary sings, even though verse 46 says, and Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but he has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever. Watch this. Just as he promised our ancestors. This is the word of God for the people of God. And we say, thanks be to God. 30 weeks before Bethlehem and 30 years before Jesus would sit in a synagogue and announce to his hometown and the world that the spirit of the Lord is upon him to bring good news to the poor which is also from Isaiah 61 that we read earlier. 30 years before that, 30 weeks before he's born, we have these two expectant mothers that meet and celebrate together. The first is Mary. The other is Elizabeth, her cousin, who we looked at a couple weeks back in the season of Advent. Elizabeth, of course, was pregnant with John, who would be known as John the Baptist or John the Baptizer, These two expectant mothers meet and they celebrate. John, in the womb, was already pointing to Jesus. Because when Mary shows up and says, hi, greetings, John leaps for joy in the womb. Mary sings for joy. And I'll remind you as we saw in Advent, that joy is the recognition of the presence of heaven on earth, and joy is the response to the presence of heaven on earth. 
Last time I talked about how joy is this visceral response that just wells up and erupts. And when I preached on joy was Nora's last basketball game. And I said, like I did when Nora scored with 20 seconds left, I just erupted in joy. Y'all, she had another game today. And I, if I'm lying, I'm dying. With about 20 seconds left, she did it again. Amen. Hallelujah. Joy. And then my dear, dear friend, whose son plays on the all-boys team, texted me as I was driving home because his kid was in the next game. And he, in all caps, said, he scored his first basket. Because that's how the text read. You know what I'm saying? With that many like exclamation points. And then I was like, dude, now you get it. We become those parents. Why? It just happens. Joy is a response. But it responds to recognizing this is awesome. This is special. This is good. And why it's so powerful that these two women meet together is they become a sign to themselves. Elizabeth had been visited by an angel that said, hey, this this child that you've been waiting for, that you thought that ship had sailed, you thought you could never have a kid, you thought you could never experience this joy, I promise you it's going to come to pass. And this boy is going to be special, and he's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit, even filled with the Holy Spirit in the womb. And so you hear that, but then you have to just wake up, and you have morning sickness, and you feel bad. And I just got to wonder if Elizabeth had this moment in the first trimester Is this really going to happen? And then Mary shows up, and John leaps for joy. And I think it becomes a sign to Elizabeth in that moment, oh, God really is here. And then Mary gets a sign because of what happened. Elizabeth knew that it's true for you too. That angel really did mean what he said. And then that becomes a sign for Mary as well. In the midst of all that uncertainty and anxiety, how will this be? But she says, nevertheless, I will trust you, God. And in that moment, it's a sign to her that, oh, God really is here within this. Which is why last week, Christmas Eve, the final weekend of Advent, We looked at love, and love shows up in the midst of difficulty. Love showed up in Elizabeth and Zechariah's life when they thought the ship had sailed, their dreams would never be realized. Love shows up and says, I see you, I've heard you, I understand how long you've waited, but I'm here to say love is here. Shows up. And then Mary, how will this be? I don't know all the uncertainty. Will I be... um, outcasts from my community, my family. We talked about how uh, maybe she stayed in that manger, that stable, because I just wonder if the family didn't want to make room for her in the end. Because can we really believe that love has shown up? Or did she and Joseph just break their betrothal purity contract? But in the midst of that anxiety, in the midst of that worry, in the midst of that dream delayed, love shows up. And the theological word is incarnation, which is in the prayer that we prayed earlier. Incarnation is to put on flesh. God concarne, laid in the manger. The everyday term becomes presence. Love shows up. 
You know someone loves you because they show up and they're with you. They're listening. They're there. You know what love looks and feels like when you have a person that is right there by your side, ready to answer the phone, ready to answer the call. Love shows up. Because real love is sacrificial action. It's going to cost my time. It's going to cost my attention. And so Mary and Elizabeth show up for one another, and it bears witness to the fact that God has shown up for them. So last week I asked this question, has God shown up for you? And because it was a family service and this room was full and we had our wonderful kids, around the time I started talking, the first crowd participation interaction I got from the kids was an enormous sigh from one of our little ones. Because I think it dawned on her, oh, he's not saying, kiddos, we love you, God bless you, why don't you head on down the hall? I have to hear this guy. And so it's something as a preacher to stand up here and just hear like two minutes in. <sighs> but not to be outdone, later, much later in her eyes in the talk, I said, has God shown up in your life this year? You remember what happened next? No. no. <laughs> and because that sweetheart is not here, I won't name names, but I said, let's pray for her. And I bet you that between now and then, Christmas has happened, so I bet in her little life, she knows God has showed up. But then later, I talked about how would you pay attention? Would you look for him in the mangers and everyday spaces of your life? And she said what? Yes. yes! Love shows up. And so on New Year's Eve Eve, I'll ask you that question again. Look back on your year. And I, I want you to really think about this. This isn't like a, oh, that's nice. Okay, that's a little rhetorical question. Can you just move on to the next point? No, no, really, can you pinpoint one, two, or three moments that you said, right there, God showed up. That was a little bit of a glimpse of heaven. Like in the slide before that said joy is like little appetizers of heaven on earth. Like what is one, two, or three of those where you're like, yeah, right there, God showed up. Literally think about it. Can you name it? Can you name one? Can you name two? Maybe you can't articulate it and write like a blog post about it, but can you say like, even then, yes. So the follow-up then is, if you can, was it in the midst of a difficult, worrisome, hard time? God loves to meet us there. He never seems to run out of what we need. God showed up in Mary's life. And there in that meeting with two expectant mothers, her response in the midst of that anxiety and wonder, she erupts in a song. And so we're going to spend the last couple minutes of our time looking at her song. And the first thing her song is, is a revolution song. It sounds a lot unlike the Christmas carols that we sing that are polished and beautiful. This is a 
Oh man, she means business song. This is a revolution song envisioning the reordering of the world. This is a song that doesn't really get printed on Christmas cards because she's talking about the upheaval of the arrogant and proud so that the lowly and humble might be elevated and the world might be brought back into balance. When I was thinking about this song being a reordering song, I was thinking about my desk. I have a desk problem. I have a little laptop desk in our bedroom that would be a lovely office space, except 90% of my life it is unusable. It's rendered unusable. Why? Because I have a desk problem, and you might too, because that is a perfect size and a perfect entry point to my bed, to the closet, and it's a lot closer to the door, so sometimes clothes go there. My keys go there. The mail goes there. You know when you open the mail and you're like, I need to pay attention to this. Let me just put it right here. (laughs) It's got my chapsticks because I open up one every two weeks. I never finish one. I just have four half-used ones on my desk. And so what happens eventually is if you're like me with a desk problem, you get to a point where you said, I would really like to use this desk, but it's going to take a Herculean effort. Like yesterday, I spent two hours reordering my desk because it was rendered unusable, unable to fulfill the purpose for which it's created. There was a pile of things that were preventing it from its proper use. Now, this is a cheesy metaphor for what happens when a nation has been waiting for generation after generation, and what they see is this power-hungry force accumulate on top of their people. And then when Babylon gets knocked down, Persia rises up. And when Persia gets knocked down, the eventual empire du jour becomes the Roman Empire. And so generations upon generations, you just have this accumulation, this amassing of people and power that consolidate all their stuff and keep the lowly folk down. And eventually what happens is the people say, I feel like we need to use this gift that we've been given to bring light to the world. I think that we should use this gift and and bring about human flourishing because Israel, we were the people that were called to bless all nations, but how can we bless all nations when these nations are imposing and heavy upon us? And so we need a revolution. And so what happens is for generations, the Jewish people say, well, I can do that. And so Hanukkah is born of a Jewish revolution before Jesus and after the Old Testament is complete. They say, I know a revolution. Let me reorder the world. And they say, look at this stack of papers that's weighing us down and keeping us from fulfilling our purpose. So what we got to do is watch, wipe them off. And so Judah the hammer comes out and tries to take back their purpose by sweeping off and clearing out the deck. 
putting it in the paper shredder. This world has accumulated forces that are opposed to the flourishing of all people. We've turned away from God's good intention, and we've forgotten that we belong to one another. And we have become unable to fulfill the purpose for which we're created. But the wrong answer, generation for generation, is to say, well, then let's just go and knock the bullies around in the same way that the bullies knocked us down. So the reason why Mary's song is so interesting is it envisions a reordering that, yes, upends and sets the world right, but the way the song gets incarnated is not Judah the hammer, but Jesus the child, who's God with us. This revolution will come in a way that reflects the heart of God, that is humble, that is seeking to transform not just the system, but the human heart that in mass got us to that point. Because it's one thing to say, let's fight racism, and it's a wholly other to say, yes, and let's start with this racist. This is what's going on. And I think that John Lennon got it a little right with his revolutionary song. You say you want a revolution, well, you know. You, you with me? He wrote this song, although every one of their songs, it also says that McCartney and Lennon wrote it, but it's a John song. He wrote this song because so many people came to him saying, do our revolution, join our cause, get on board with us, hitch your wagon to us. American politicians contribute to this campaign. They had Chinese people. They had underground, like, leftist revolution. Like, everybody wanted a piece of him. And so he wrote this song. And you can really see his idea of revolution shining through in these two lines that are the pre-chorus lines. Y'all will know it if you know the song because they're right before the, you know it's gonna be, right? All right, this is the line right before then. But when you talk about destruction... Don't you know that you can count me out? And then in the next verse, he ends it by saying, but if you want money for people with minds that hate, all I can tell you is, brother, you have to wait. So what happened in 1968 is the same thing that happened in Mary's time and everyone else's time before then. They want to say, yeah, but I don't agree with you. I don't like the way you're doing revolution. Because at some point, you're not going far enough, John. You're not going far enough, Jesus. You really do have to put that paper in the paper shredder. Don't send a child. Send Judah the hammer. But the problem with Judah the hammer is, after a little bit of sustained success, they still got squashed again. And violence just tends to beget more violence and more hate. And then you just have more separation so at some point, you're like, well, whose revolution wins? Well, John wrote this song. He recorded it two different times. You can like the fun, fuzzy guitar, ro loud rocking one, or you can like the more chill, shooby-doo-wop version. But either way, some people were mad about it. 
So this guy named John Hoyland, who is a university student at Keele University, he wrote this open letter that John Lennon actually replied to. And he said to John Hoyland, who had an issue, you say, and he quotes him, in order to change the world, we've got to understand what's wrong with the world. I would say, yes, that's, that's right. But then watch how he takes it a step further, the Jew to the hammer style, and then destroy it ruthlessly. This is what this university student said in critique of revolution. So John Lennon continues, you're obviously on a destruction kick. I'll tell you what's wrong with it. People. So do you want to destroy them? Ruthlessly? Until you or we change your or our heads, there's no chance. The Christmas revolution is one where God looks at this world that has amassed and accumulated all this clutter and pain. We've turned our hearts from God intent. We've forgotten that we belong to one another. So we oppose, we oppress, we hurt and we hate, and we have violence that begets more violence. But the problem is, is that to destroy the system, you would destroy people. Unless you send a king who calls us back to the heart of God so that our hearts might be formed and transformed and that slowly but surely, the more we come to the manger, the more we come to follow, the more we come to follow his example of sacrificial action, we begin to find our hearts warmed and enlivened to love others. And then love begets love. And then you call others to the good news. And that begets more healing, more flourishing. And you find that we can reorder the world, not by throwing all of it into the paper shredder and destroying them, but by transforming it. And so the reordering of the world with Mary's revolutionary song begins with the reordering of our hearts. The issue is that there are proud and arrogant people that need to be told, you are not the end-all be-all. That you can't amass for yourself all of the world's resources and then blame the starving. The gospel is so much bigger than just asking Jesus into your heart. Yes, ask Jesus and give him your heart. But when you give him your heart, you better be prepared for him to form it and work on it in such a way where it overflows and then you start to feed your neighbor. The gospel calls us to enter in and to be swept up in a revolution that doesn't look like more hate and war and violence, but in fact to give our lives instead of it because Jesus showed us that a revolution that changes the world is one where he lays down his life so that others might actually find life worth living and life that's valuable. The revolution begins with the arrival of Jesus. His answer to the bullies of the world was a child in a manger that the outcasts came and knelt before, and they said, God is here? Because if God is here, then God can be for me. And if God is for that person, then maybe I can love that person. And so when Jesus says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, and he's anointed me to bring good news to the poor, and freedom from captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, the blind, the lame, the lowly, they say, wait, the world told us for generations that we had no place, and now you're saying that we have a place in the kingdom of God. This is the gospel. This is why we should put Mary's song on every Christmas song. And every Christmas card. And this is why we light these candles. Because we say we are so sick of the darkness. 
But then we light our candles and we go out. And so it's why we also not just open presents, but we learn to give it away, too. We can spend a week eating sweets and having fun and opening presents. But let's spend every other week following the example of Mary and her son by giving ourselves away and finding that that's what true life really is. This revolution begins with the arrival of Jesus. It continues in the transformation that his kingdom brings. And it finally culminates when he makes all things new at the end in Revelation 21. That's why Mary's song is so revolutionary. Finally, two more brief things. Mary's song is a gospel song. This is what I was telling you about. It's a gospel song celebrating the God who rescues and transforms. Echoes of her song will be preached and reinforced in Jesus' own teaching when he warns the rich not to trust in their wealth, and he promises the availability and accessibility of the kingdom of God to the humble, sick, and poor. And so I love... I don't love uh, the song, Mary, Did You Know? Not because, like, its message is bad. I just don't like it as a song. Um, no offense. Um, I just don't love it. But I also have a small, like, a small chuckle because I think Mary did know some of it, you know? Like, Mary couldn't know that he would walk on water and do those things, right? But I'll tell you why I think Mary knew. Because she sang this dadgum song. It's like Mary knew, right? Like before he was born, she was like, this is God. Yes, this is the king. This is the one I've been waiting for. So a silly way to say it is like Mary may not have known the shape that the everyday miracles of Jesus's ministry would take. But she knew the every way renewal that Jesus's arrival would bring. Like, she didn't know that he was going to, like, turn water to wine at that family wedding, you know, at the beginning of his ministry. She couldn't know that. But this song shows us, oh, this situates me and my son squarely in the center of God's transforming purpose. This is good news, and it means that this desk of a world is going to be reordered and reimagined. God is acting definitively here. She knew. This was a game changer. And this is what the Christmas story is really about is good news, right? This is why the angels say, good news, greetings. And just so we're all square and because this is the last message of 2023, let me just tell you again, what is the good news? It's the good news that Jesus, through his life, death, and resurrection, is the reigning Lord of heaven and earth. And that all people are invited to live in God's kingdom Filled with God's spirit, free from sin and death. Does that about cover it? Yes, Jesus is Lord. That's the gospel in three words. Yes, Jesus died for our sins. That's the gospel in a handful of words. But it is also through his whole person that he has brought to bear the reign of God on earth as it is in heaven. And even you can participate. Here's how. Students. Those of you who haven't said yes, let me tell you, you will feel something stirring within you. Some people, it's huge and big, and it's a gut punch. 
Others of you, it is the smallest whisper. But you need to understand that what it is is the Holy Spirit is already at work within you, calling you to respond. Because God has said yes to you. God has said, yes, I made you, I love you, and I am longing for you to flourish. You are a desk. You were made for a purpose to reflect me, to love me, to love others, and to make a difference. But sin and shame and all of these things stack up and cloud our desk of our life. And the gospel involves a putting off of this stuff. And then you pick up the papers, you say, well, what do I do with this? And the gospel is that through Jesus' death, he says, let me take those things for you. I will take them for you. And I will not just shred it, I'll recycle it into eternal life. I'm taking the wages of sin and this system and this world that has turned their back on me and it brings death and I'll take all of this crud. If you would put that off and put it onto me, what Jesus does on the cross is say, I will recycle this darkness into light. I will recycle this death into life. And so eternal life is found by saying, take this stuff. And what happens is he gives you in return everything. Freedom from sin and death. Not a life without struggle, but a life that is once again made to flourish, made for purpose, even and in spite of darkness and death. He is with you now and forever because you're filled with the Holy Spirit. So because God has said yes to you, you say, yes, I believe that you're Lord and I'm gonna give you my life to follow. That's it. Jesus, you are Lord and I am going to follow you in this life. It is literally that easy and that hard because you have this moment where you're born, but then you also, like after you're born, you carry on living. And now what you're saying is, my life will be marked by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And so I choose to follow him, to learn to be his apprentice, to be with him, to learn from him how to live like him from now on. I, I want to live the life I was meant to live. He has cleared away the junk of my life, and now I can flourish as I was truly meant to flourish. That is the gospel. That's where the reordering begins. We can reorder the world to the degree that we are reordered individuals who go and enact God's kingdom living through our own everyday life. So, yes, let's deal with racism, but first let's start with uprooting the racism in our own hearts. Yes, we can deal with consumerism, but let's deal with the consumerism in our own hearts to the degree to which we say, here's my junk, help me. Here's my junk, let me follow you. Here's my junk, show me the way to life. This is good news. This is the revolution. This is the gospel. And finally, Mary's song is a Bible song. It is a song overflowing out of a scripture-saturated life. If you read Mary's Magnificat, which is the Latin word of magnifies, the first word in the Latin text, the Magnificat, if you read her song next to Hannah's song in 1 Samuel 2, 
you're going to see a lot of similarities. If you read Mary's song next to several of the psalm songs, that's a tongue twister. You're going to see a lot of similarities. Why? Because if joy is a response, what oozed out of Mary is the scripture that permeated and saturated her life. If I stubbed my toe, what's going to ooze out of me is a lot of curse words because I listen to a lot of naughty music. It oozes out of my life. Just kidding. I'm a pastor, guys. <laughs> Amy, you are laughing way too hard. This is my New Year's resolution, okay? I want scripture to ooze out of me when I stub my toe. This is a silly way of saying you are what you eat. And you wonder why when the tough times come and the difficulty comes, you jettison your faith. You jettison this idea. Well, I, I just, I was like, well, what story are you saturating yourself in? Because there are literal stories fed to us moment by moment by moment by moment. And then you get to this point where you say, gosh, I am more anxious now than I was six months ago. Gosh, I'm worried more now than I was a year ago. I'm sad. I'm bitter. I'm angry. I'm this. Well, what story are you soaking in? We don't read our Bibles to make us feel good or to check a box. No, we read the scripture because it grounds us and shapes us and shows us that this is a story that's deeper and broader. This is a story of God's transforming rescue and renewal. So the new year is coming, so I would encourage you, like, pick up a new Bible reading habit. Not the one that you're going to start like you are your exercise plan, where you're going to, like, do 50 push-ups a day, and you're going to plank for five hours, and you're just, like, January 1, it's on. I'm a vegan that only eats protein powder. Like, don't, that's not going to work. But let me tell you what's also not going to work, continuing to not engage with God's word or God's presence or worship in the community. That's going to continue to not work as well. And you look back and you say, well, if the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and I am like impatient, I'm arrogant, I'm angry, I am hateful, I'm this, well, it's like, okay, so how are you walking in step with the Spirit? Oh, you see, I'm not. I go to church once in a while. Trust me, I can't do it for you. Trust me on this. I can help inspire you and I as we hear the gospel, sing the gospel, ground our lives in the gospel, but it takes all of us reminding, encouraging, spurring on one another to also live our lives because nobody's gonna follow Jesus for you, but we can do it with you. So what's not working is the nothing we're doing, but what also is not gonna work is if you're like, I'm gonna read the Bible in a month. Maybe it will, and maybe it will take. Try it on. But if that shoe doesn't fit, then take that one off and put on those chucks that you've worn all year. 
but do it in such a way that feels comfortable, that's doable. That's an everyday kind of thing. God is not looming over you, making a list and checking it twice to see how many verses of scripture you read. Because I know a lot of people that can read scripture and walk away unchanged. You find what works for you. On our website, in the sermons and resources, not only are there a bunch of sermons there, but if you scroll down to the middle of the page, you find little prayer guides, you find Bible reading plans that are 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, that is just the Psalms or the Gospels. You can find ways to take some time of solitude to be alone with Jesus. We can link and tell you about apps that give you a seven-minute prayer on audio that you can listen to in the car. I have droves of books, and Toby has apps and guides. Like, we want to help equip you for your journey. New year, new you. Just try on a little bit. Because we want to be soaked and saturated in the story that forms us for our purpose. And the other reason I think that's important is because do you have any back pocket scriptures? What I mean by that is this. When I go to visit somebody in the hospital, every time I have zero minutes to think about it. I have to just go. And so when I get there, I have to be this non-anxious presence that speaks some word into their story that is a little bit hard. And so what can I say? Well, I say Psalm 23. I pray Psalm 33, 22. I pray Psalm 83, 11. I pray John 14, John 15. I have these back pocket scriptures that I've just like a tea bag steeped in so that when this hard stuff comes and I have no words, I have no time, these are the things that just come out. These are the prayers like in Philippians 4, like, God, that the peace that transcends all understanding would guard their hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Do you have back pocket scriptures? If not, let me help you find some. This is my job. I'll walk with you in this. But when it happens, when you need that, when you don't have the words, if you're soaked and steeped in this story, your song can sound like Mary's song, overflowing out of a scripture-saturated life. Because the world offers us no shortage of garbage stories. The story that I'm never enough. The story that I'll never have enough. The story of bitterness. The story of worry. The story of entertainment. The story of pride. The story of anger. The story of lust. The story of grudges. The story of unforgiveness. The story of God. Too many garbage stories. Let's end the year making the good news of Jesus that he has come to renew and restore what was broken, that we might be filled and freed by the power of the Holy Spirit with us, sending us out to go and tell others there is freedom in life to be had and that the darkness of the world has not nor will not overcome the light that we see shining at Christmas, now, and forever. Amen and amen. This New Year of Blessing was written by Aubrey and Brady Smith. If he leads us to wilderness and desert places, may we, 
sorry, may we know his cloud by day and fire by night to lead us to the promise and hope. If he leads us to abundance, may our hands reflect his openness and generosity to others, bearing along the blessing for his glory. If he brings us pain and weakness, may we cling ever more tightly to our crucified savior whose sufferings we are honored to share. And if he brings us to strength and standing, may we use it to bear the burdens of others, knowing we are but breath and dust while he is everlasting. O Lord, we offer to you our lives, whatever that may be in the year ahead, as living sacrifices. We long for your glory and your reign over our lives and over all the earth. Go in peace.